man, just to see what God has done in this place, I am blessed. If nothing else happened today, I am blown away by what God is doing among you. You know, and I know God, even, even the words that have come forth today are just, it's so awesome how God is just weaving things together. God's got something that He wants to do in you today, and He wants to do through you to your community. I want to tell you a couple of stories. Uh, I'm a missionary, uh, somebody's a God missionary. We started out in Mexico and worked with Chris and a number of guys up in the mountains and stuff like that, and I've got a brochure out there that talks more about that, but recently I've been working with Convoy of Hope, and I work in three different areas within Convoy of Hope. There are three different arms or branches of ministry that are international where this is like the avenue where uh, the international ministry takes place where we share the gospel in an international setting. The three different areas are international outreach, the children's feeding initiative, and then also global disaster response. Now the international outreach, uh, I haven't been a part of one of those yet, but as a missionary in Mexico, I was one of, you know, part of that all of the time. And I want to tell you a story about an international outreach in Mexico. We had been working among this indigenous tribe up in the mountains in Mexico. They're known as the Mazateco Huautla de Jimenez. They don't speak Spanish. They speak Mazateco Huautla de Jimenez. And uh, many of these little villages were very resistant to the gospel. It's in an area known as the Sierra Mazateca. It looks uh, a lot like this right here. It's um, very mountainous, very rugged. And many of these places, like I said, are resistant to the gospel. And so we went into this little town called Santa Elena, and in that little town, we, we went and talked with the president of that community. And we talked to the president and said, hey, while we're here, you know, we've come into your town and I've brought a trailer load. It's full of shoes and things for children. And I have a doctor and a bunch of young people that are going to come and they'll babysit the kids. Can, can we hum, come and help your community? And he said, well, sure. He said, you know, it makes him look like a hero when we come in with something like that. So he gets on the, the loudspeaker system and he announces out to the mountains in their language. And people just came pouring out of the mountains to receive help. You can go ahead to the next one. So what it looked like that day. And, and everybody that came that day received, all the little kids received a, a coat and a pair of shoes and at the same time that was going on, we had a doctor who was there and saw hundreds of patients. I think the next picture shows that. This lady's getting a shot in her knee. It was, uh, it was really different that day because the doctor spoke English, so he would translate to me, and I would tell it to the pastor who, you know, in Spanish, and the pastor would communicate it to the person in their language. So it took a long time to see the people that day. But we were doing that. At the same time, they had a, a VBS-type thing going on across the street, and then later on that day, I talked to the president of the community again, and I said, I, I brought a, mi a movie with me that is in your people's language. Can I show that movie? And he said, well, what's it about? And I said, it's about Jesus. He said, yeah, why not? You know, he wasn't really excited about it. But So that night, we showed the Jesus film, and for the first time, those people heard the gospel message in their language. And at the end of that week of ministry, 98 people had given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And two churches were planted as a result of it. Now that's the power of compassion ministry. When you go into an area, and, in, and yes, it's necessary to preach the gospel, but sometimes people need to see the gospel to be able to understand the gospel message. And, and that's what we do with international outreach. I also work with the Children's Feeding Initiative. We're currently working in seven countries, about to open up an eighth country, and we have over 130,000 children that are enrolled in the program. And so what that means is that we are be able to impact the families of 130,000 children 
on a weekly basis that we're involved in their lives. Some of them are in a daily feeding program. Others are, you know, it's just on the weekend or during the week at school. But we work in five different areas. How many know it's really not enough to just give a kid a meal? Because if you give a kid a meal, you're creating kind of like a welfare mentality, a, a dependence. And so we work in five different areas in the feeding program. The first is obviously nutrition. I mean, we want to give healthy, good food. But we also know that if they're drinking water that's full of amoeba, it's not going to do a whole lot of good to give them all the nutrition because it's just going to leave their body rapidly if they have the amoeba, the best way I can say it. So we work with uh, healthy drinking water. This is in the Kidong Valley in Kenya. This is a Maasai chief who is in the picture. And there, are, there were steam vents that were coming up out of the ground on this particular mountain from volcanic activity below. And a missionary from, I think it's Norway or Sweden, God gave that man the ability or the knowledge to know how to condense that steam that was coming out of the ground. And what you're seeing are condensing tubes, and then it drips into these things, and it's like distilled drinking water for these people. So this year we're putting 12 more of those systems up on that mountain to minister to 3,000 families that live in that area, that that, chief, that that guy is kind of responsible for all of them. And everything that's happening is happening through the Assemblies of God churches, through these Assemblies of God pastors that are going up and doing these things so the people are hearing the gospel at the same time we're providing clean and safe drinking water. We also work in the area of uh, healthy living environments. Chris knows all about this. That probably looks very familiar. Many of the places that we go are just the way that people live. Are, it, it just creates sickness. In Haiti, where we were, it was not uncommon at all for little boys to be playing and playing soccer out on the soccer field, and one of the little boys has to go to the bathroom, just drops his drawers, does his number two right there on the field, and then they continue playing, slipping and sliding in it. And it's just, it's, I know it's nasty, it's graphic, but it's the reality. And so education and helping people to understand proper hygiene and all those kind of things helps to incorporate into that. We also work with agricultural initiatives. Um, this is a picture of Haiti. Uh, just looks like a field, but it's a whole lot more than that. Because the farmers in Haiti had stopped growing rice because of the subsidies that were coming in from outside of the country. They quit just because they, it, it wasn't, it, you know, it didn't pay them any money. It was just pointless for them to continue on. And we have 45,000 people that are enrolled, enrolled in our feeding program, and we were just as guilty because we were importing rice to feed those 45,000 people. And we heard this story and thought, you know, well, we're part of the problem here. And so we went to those farmers and said, if you will begin to grow rice again, and we'll give you even give you the rice plants to start, if you'll start to grow rice again, we'll buy all of our rice from you to feed these people. And they said, sure, why not? And that's what happened, the, the field there. And they all started to band together. They begin to lose that welfare mentality, always looking for a handout. And they had a bumper crop that year, and they actually started to make money. They made enough money that they bought a tractor so that they can even grow even more rice, and they're getting their dignity back. And at the same time, all of this is happening through Assemblies of God churches that are right there in Haiti. The, the uh, last area that we work in with the Children's Feeding Initiative is in job, um, job training and education. We're working in an area in partnership with USAID. In, it's a town called Lidet. It's just outside of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. This is the area of Addis Ababa where the poorest of the poor people live. They say that 75% of the people in that area, most of them are single mothers. 
live on about $15 a month. And the other 25% live on about $30 a month. They're the wealthy ones. And so we, in partnership, we went in and, and talked to the, the heads of that particular town and located 1,000 of the most marginally, you know, they were just poorest of the poor and began to train them in different job training and, and educating them on good saving techniques. And they just began to start new businesses and we gave them seed capital to be able to do that. And they just started to grow these businesses. Well, one of these ladies that we talked to, when we asked her, you know, what was life like before? She just started to cry, just bawled right there and just said, you know, and she just clammed up and said, I, I don't want to talk about it because life was so dark before this particular program, I can't even speak of it. But that same lady then began to tell us of what happened because of that involvement in her life. And she said that, you know, they helped her with seed capital and she started this little restaurant and that little restaurant was so successful and she was able to save enough money that she started another little restaurant. And then with the two of them, she started a third, and she just couldn't keep up anymore, so she hired three people to manage her three restaurants. And, it, you know, all of that is happening through an Assemblies of God church. They're going, these are Muslim ladies that are going to an Assemblies of God church being taught by an Assemblies of God pastor and are hearing the gospel. And I am so excited to hear, I'm excited to hear about what has happened, but I'm excited to hear about the gospel seed that is being planted in these people's lives, that it's going to reap a harvest and that they're going to be saved, and God's going to do a great thing. Well, we also, not only with the Children's Feeding Initiative, but the third area where I work within Convoy of Hope is the global disaster response. How many of you remember about a year and a half ago now, in March, hearing on the news that the tsunami wave had hit Japan? This is what it looked like when the wave hit a town called Higashi Matsushima. We originally tried to get in to Japan right away, but because of the nuclear threat, that was going on. They sent us to the Philippines. Go ahead. This is just kind of the, the papers. They sent us to the Philippines so that we would be in the area. And so we did what we know how to do. We ended up going to a shipyard and we bought a container and they had given us a list of supplies that they needed. So we went shopping and bought everything that we could possibly get to fit on the container. And then we loaded up the container and sent it on to Japan. But when we arrived in Japan, I definitely was not prepared for the devastation that I saw. Everywhere that you see, this, is, this used to be a town where you know, people were going to work, there were businesses, there were schools, you can keep going to the next ones. Houses, you know, just the lives. This is what's left over. You, you saw the original picture of the wave coming in. This is the same area. That's what's left after that wave hit. And as we were standing there in the middle of all of that chaos and just praying and just saying, God, what do we do? How, I mean, in the middle of nothing, what do you do? But you know what's that in the beginning, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the surface of the deep. And God spoke and God said, let there be. And there was. And God began to speak to us and He began to lead us. And He led us to this guy. His name's Tom Kisaki. And Tom, I call him Tom. His name's not really Tom. It's some Japanese name that I can't pronounce very well. So I call him Tom. And Tom led us into the relief center where people that were survivors from the tsunami lived. And, and these people would tell us their stories. And we just sat there and just, just listened to them and listened to what happened to them. And this one lady in the yellow here, her name is Mami-san Ninomiya. On the day of the tsunami, Mami was in another town. She works as a chef. And she got a text from her four-year-old little girl 
that somehow had gotten stranded in her house. And the text said, Mommy, I hear the sirens going off, and I don't know what to do. I'm scared. What do I do? Because when an earthquake happens, and they think that there's going to be a tsunami, then the sirens just begin to go off, kind of like a, like a tornado siren that we have around here. Same type of deal. And I don't know what happened that a four-year-old was in the house by herself. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And so she just dropped everything that she was doing and ran back to Higashi Matsushima. She drove into town just at the time when that wave that you saw was coming ashore. And as she was driving into town, she jumped, saw the wave, jumped out of her car and started to run for high ground. And the wave just kept coming ashore. And as it just kind of chased her as she was going up into the higher ground where the relief center was at. And as she started going up the staircase that would lead her up to the top floor, the water just began to rise in that building and kind of chased her as she was going up. And as she was going up, the, finally the water just overcame her and she was there in the mountain. And somebody on the top of the building reached out, was able to grab her arm and pull her up to safety on the top of the building. She had no idea what happened to her four-year-old little girl. On top of the building, she found her older daughter was there, but she had no idea what happened to her four-year-old. So for the next few days, they were there on the top of the building. At that time of the year, it snows in Japan. They're all soaking wet, freezing cold in the snow, no way to keep warm, wondering what happened to her four-year-old little girl. A few days later, when the, the water receded and, and that, she was able to finally to go back to where her house was at, and she saw a note on the door from her neighbor said, I, I've got your little girl. I took her to the other relief center. And she was safe. But you know what? It wasn't that way for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Because go back to the, the picture just before. You see the picture of the little girl in the back. Her name is Hibiki. On the day of the tsunami, Hibiki was in this white car. Go back to the next one. She was in that white car with her mother, her three sisters, and two little neighbor girls when the tsunami hit. And they weren't able to get away. And when they found Hibiki was the only one that escaped. When they found her mother, she was still holding the little baby in her arms. And so these people were absolutely desperate. I mean, just completely destitute. And so what we begin to do is just to just do outreach. And, and we would provide things that they needed, practical things, toilet paper and cleaning supplies and food and, and those kind of things. And, and so this is the 11th outreach that we did in Japan. And they told us, first of all, that people will never, ever line up to receive help in Japan. It just will not happen. It goes completely contrary to culture. They won't do it. Because in Japan, if you give someone a gift, they have to give you something back. It's just the way it is. And so if you give someone a gift and they don't have anything to give to you, they're shamed. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a shame thing. They won't even receive the help from you. So we would ask the missionaries there and say, you know, how do we do this? This is what we do. We, we give stuff away that people need if they're in desperate need of help. And no one, could help, no one could say, this is how you do it. But it didn't matter because the Holy Spirit knew how to do it. And so we just began to, to give things away and we made friends with the, the leadership of, of the community. And on the 11th outreach that you saw there, that picture of, I watched a miracle happen because I watched the community leader take a megaphone and hand it to a pastor and say, would you please pray for us? 400 people all lined up. Would you please pray for us and tell us a little bit about why you're here? Tell us about Jesus. So that pastor, of course, I mean, he grabs the microphone and he begins to talk about why they're there. And he, then he prays for people. 
and 400 Japanese people, Buddhist people, mind you, have no concept of God like you and I have growing up in America, all bow their heads, hands like this, everybody's heads bowed, and the pastor says, Amen. The whole crowd says, Amen. Amen says what? So be it. So be it. And you know what? God began to do a miracle in that community. Because that community leader right there, he's the lower left guy, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And a church was started in his home. And it was just, you know, go ahead. (laughs) Give God glory. A church got started in his home, so it was just a home church. had maybe eight or ten people in it. Well, more and more people begin to get saved. And just about a month ago, they opened up the full gospel church in that town, had 45 people that had given their hearts to Jesus Christ. That is an absolute miracle. Because that, you need to know that Japan for 500 years has had Christianity. And along 250 miles of coastline, there were eight churches. I'm not talking assemblies of God, eight churches, period, that had eight or ten people in them. But it's a new day in Japan. And people are beginning to come to the Lord in, in many, many... I mean, it's not like thousands like Reinhard Bonnke talked about. But you know what? It, the seed is being planted. Because I, I was there in November of this. I don't have a picture of this, but I was there in November. And I went to Yokohama. Uh, the treasurer of the, the Sundays of God in, in Japan asked me to come and preach at his church. And it's a homeless church. And I was like, that sounds great. I would love to come and preach at a homeless church. So I went to Yokohama, not even touched by the tsunami, mind you. Okay, No impact there whatsoever. But I preached at a homeless church of about 400 people. Probably about 90% of the people who were there raised their hand to say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. I want that peace in my life. It's a new day in Japan. And God is doing powerful things. And and why am I telling you all these stories? Because I want you to know that that same God that works around the world works in Linden. He works in Fenton. He works in Flint. He works in your neighborhood, on your job. God wants to use you to do powerful things. He wants to flow through you to impact your world. Today I want to share with you uh, from the Word of God about being missional. If you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. See if I can get everything unfolded here. John chapter 4 and verse 1. This is a story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's, you know, Jesus had just come back from a, a whole lot of ministry in Judah, and he was going back to Galilee. And to get from Galilee, excuse me, from Judah to Galilee, you had to go right through Samaritan territory. The Samaritans were people who were kind of Jewish and kind of Gentile. They were a mixture, and they were shunned by the Jewish people of that time. And so as Jesus is there, he, he goes up to the well because he was tired. And he, it says, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. 
The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And I want to talk to you today about being missional. Now, what do I mean? That's kind of a, like, what does that mean? I mean, if, you, if we just thought about it in English terms, missional, it probably means, like, staying on task. You've got a mission to do. Go do it. But thankfully, we have Wikipedia. Wikipedia says, missional living, listen to this closely, okay? Because I think, you know what? I see God has done an amazing job here in your church at building the foundation of this church. And as they, I mean, it's just been, it's so awesome how God weaves things together. That recently, what was it, Wednesday night, where the message was, now. Now is the time. Now is the time where everything that has been built into you, everything that has been poured into you over the years that you've been a part of this church, over the years that you've been a Christian, maybe it's only weeks, but now is the time for all of that to go out there. And for you actually to, instead of a, a coming to church on the street, it's time for you to be church on the street. It's time to build. It's time to go. It's time to, now is the time for everything that is poured into you, for you to be church on the street. And it's about being missional. God has given us the message or the mission. Jesus said, the very, some of the very last words that He said are go. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, beginning in Linden, beginning in Argentine Township, and then it carries on to Flint, and then Michigan, and United States, and to the ends of the earth. God wants you to be missional and be purposeful in being a Christian. You're not a Christian to come to church where you come here and just have a spiritually good time and somebody speaks a word over you and woohoo, we had a great time in church today. God does all of those things and, and pours into you and invests into you so that you go out there and you take it out there and you be church on the street. God wants to use you to do great things. Okay, here's what Wikipedia says missional is. Missional living is adopting the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel message. So it's being purposeful. It's living your life, the things that you do, living on purpose. So when you go to your job, you have in your mind, I'm, I'm not a welder, I'm not a carpenter, I'm not a stonemason, I'm a missionary. Come on. And this is what I do to carry the gospel out there. Are, are you with me? So when you go to the grocery store and you're at VG's, you're not just going to the grocery store because you've got a list and you've got to feed your family. You're going to VG's because you're a missionary. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's being missional. It's every day when you wake up and your feet hit the floor, I'm going to be purposeful about living out the mission that Jesus gave to me. You know what? The mission isn't just for guys like me that are called to go to the other side of the world. Jesus said it to the disciples, yes, but what he said to the disciples, he's saying to you today, go. Now is the time we are to go and be missionaries to our community. Now, as a church, what does it mean to be missional as a church? A local church is missional when it intentionally pursues God's mission for His glory among all peoples by following His patterns and His ways of expanding His kingdom. 
That's pretty good stuff. Wikipedia, even. Wow. <laughs> you know what? We have in this example right here how Jesus did it. How Jesus went into a culture that was not His own. How many of you know, inside of the church here, we, we've got our own culture. Your culture inside of your church is completely different from any other church in your area, probably. The ones that I've been in, I've not been in a church like this. You have an amazing presence of the Lord here. But you're not to keep it for yourself. You're, you're to be filled up in this place to go out there. But we have here in this story how, how some things that I see that will help you to get over the fear of man. Just to get over the hump, if you will. Like, man, I don't know. How do, how do you go about doing that? How do you get over the fear? How do you get over all of that stuff? And, and then what do you say? What if I say the wrong thing? And I think, you know, there are a thousand things that come into your mind when I just tell you, think about sharing the gospel. And it's all about, well, what if this? What if that? What if that? Well, hopefully these keys here today will help you a little bit. But before we get started, I want you to just close your eyes. I'm not going to throw anything. Just close your eyes. And I want you to think about just one person that you, is a part of your life, somebody that you see on a weekly basis that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Just think about that person. Think about their life. Think about who they are, who they are to you, what kind of relationship do you have with them. As we go through the rest of this time today, I want you to think about that person. I want you to think about how this word applies to that person. Because what we're going to do at the very end, I'm going to have you get up and we're going to bring that person here to the altar and we're going to begin to pray that God will set up opportunities, that God will give you the words to say to bring that one person to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Is that okay? Alright. Now you got that person. You can open your eyes now. Okay. There are six things that I see here in this particular passage. Well, actually, seven. I see seven things. The first thing that I noticed about this, this particular thing happened to Jesus when He was just going about His regular old life. He was tired He'd just been traveling. You know, they didn't have nice concrete roads or asphalt roads. It was dirty, so he was dusty. He was probably very thirsty. He was hungry. You know, how many know when you're dirty, you're thirsty, and you're hungry, sometimes the last thing that you do is think about somebody else? I have to admit, it's true for me. I'm a human being just like you. But that's the awesome thing about Jesus, is that He's the Word of God. He's the Son of God made flesh. And He came and dwelt among us so that He could show us that it's possible. It's possible for you to get outside of yourself and think about the people that are around you and be missional. Be purposeful about how you live your life. So that's the first thing that I notice about this. This happened, you know, this wasn't after Jesus just came down off the mountain and He was, you know, just had a great experience with God on top of the mountain. It was just in the middle of everyday life. Alright? The second thing I noticed is that Jesus treated the woman with respect. Look in verse 8 and verse 9. It says, He was alone at the time because His disciples had gone into the village to buy food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know, 
our society and then even our cultural understanding sometimes in the church can put us up here or people with wealth are here. People without wealth or, or whatever are down here. And we tend to look down on people and, and don't value them for who they are. You know what? You have value and every single person on the face of this planet has value because of what the Bible thank you, what the Bible says in Genesis, the fact that you and I are created in the image of God. That's what gives every single person on the face of the planet I think it's one of these fans just does not want me to speak this today. <laughs> every person on the face of this planet has value it's intrinsic value. It's not based on... Alright, I'm going to just carry these today, I guess. Their value is not based upon their economic... their bank account. It's not based on how they look. It's not based on how they smell. It's not based upon their language that they speak. It's based on the fact that God said, let's make man in our image. Now, if you think about every person that's on the face of the planet, I think it's like 10... Oh, I don't even remember. I don't want to say it. I, I have it somewhere in my notes. How many people have lived on the face of the planet from the time, the initial time that man was on the earth until now? I mean, just billions and billions and billions of people. And every single one of them was different. There's nobody in this room, even though you have your children here, they're not exactly like you. You know why? Because every single person that's on the face of the planet reveals one more facet of who God is. That, to me, is amazing because it just shows us how big God is. And even that fact, if we start to think about, think about that one person I had you think about. Do you know that that person is made in the image of God? And they are made to have a relationship with their Creator. Every single one of them. Even though right now they may be completely ignoring God. Or maybe they're trying their best to, to, to get to God. Maybe they're trying you know, through church attendance or they're trying through prayer and you don't even know about it, but they're crying out and saying, I want God. Every single person is, I think it was Blaise Pascal that said that, every single person is created with a God-shaped hole in their center. And nothing will fill it except a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So you have to treat people with respect. And respect them based upon what God says they are, not upon what society says. You have to treat them based on the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, that person was on His mind too. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks about that they are the joy that was set before Him. We are, that mankind, that, having, that restoring the relationship between God and man was the joy that was set before Jesus. And that person is part of that joy that was set before Christ. And we've got to treat people with that kind of respect. Not look at you know, tattoos, not you know, get past the smell, get past greasy hair, get past... Whatever it is that would keep you from saying that and you elevating yourself to get over it and realize you're made out of a dirt just like them. You're a walking, breathing pile of dirt that God breathed into and said, let there be, and, and you are. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. The second thing that I notice in this passage is in verse 10 to 15. Is that we have to be relevant. We have to speak to their need. Verse 10 to 15 Jesus replied, this is just after she said, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. What I see here is that even though Jesus, you know, the woman is kind of on another planet, so to speak, with what Jesus is trying to say to her. He's relevant. He brings it always. He's bringing it back to her true need. And we need to do the exact same thing. We need to speak to people about their first and primary need, and it's grace. What people's first thing that they need is not to stop drinking. They don't need to quit doing drugs. They don't need to stop doing all of the things that we would try to label as outside behavior. We are famous. I mean, we treat, uh, even medically, Often we treat the symptom instead of going to the real root of the problem. And we've got to understand in the church and, and, and being missional, we've got to understand people's real problem is that they need Jesus. Period. You've got to look past all the stuff on the outside and be relevant for what their real need is. They need Jesus. They need a relationship with their Savior and it only comes through faith. Not one person on the face of the planet who has ever accepted Christ got to be right with God because of what they did. The Bible says and the Bible teaches that it's through faith by grace. And there's another thing that we need to understand as believers, as Christians who are here today, we continue on in that, in our relationship with God, the same exact way as you got in. You don't get right with God. You don't become more valuable to God by what you do. By coming to church, by reading the Bible, by you just fill in the blank. I don't care what it is. That does not make you right with God. It does not make you closer to God. It doesn't make God love you anymore. He loves you all the way, right now, just the way you are. Now that's some good news. Somebody say amen to that. You know, but in the church, when we think about sharing the good news, we, you know, we've got a list of, well, this is kind of what you've got to do. You know, you get in by grace... But this is what you've got to do to be right with God. That's baloney. What you need to understand, what we all need to understand, this is, the, this is the core of the good news, is that Jesus died on the cross to take the sin of the world. Every wrong thing that everyone has ever done, He took it on Him. And because He died and He paid that price, He gave us everything that He deserves. That is the good news. That's the, like the base like nutshell of the gospel is that everything that Jesus deserved, we get. Everything that we deserve, He paid for. That's good news. That's worth sharing. That's worth telling somebody about. And I see also that even when that woman didn't understand right away, 
Jesus kept explaining the truth to her until she understood. I think they say, like, somebody needs to hear the gospel message. I've, it varies. Between seven times, somebody, I, I looked it up, and it said, like, 18 times, 20 times. It doesn't really matter. I think everybody's different. But the point is, they might not get it the first time. So don't lose heart. Just continue to have patience and explain the truth of the gospel to people because they will get it. It's, it's the power. We have to have faith in the power of the gospel message. And I also see that he used everyday situations to draw parallels to eternal truths. I mean, sometimes church people are just plain weird when we get outside of this building. Is it true or not true? I mean, just flat weird. We, we need to be real. We need to understand that, I mean, if, if, I don't know how to explain it. I don't have the words. But just, like, leave the churchy stuff here. Use language that people will understand out there. You understand? Exactly, there you go. Somebody else can help me preach this. Don't talk Christianese when you're trying to share the gospel. Be real with people. And, and draw parallels from real life stuff. I mean, people love, as a general rule, love their kids. You know, everybody had a mother and a father. They may have been a bad example, but you know what I'm just talking? We're all people. We all have similarities. Use the similarities that are in your life to draw parallels to spiritual truths to help people understand. Okay? Um, all right, I love this one. Verse 16 to 18. So the woman says, verse 15, please give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again. And then Jesus, verse 16, says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. (laughs) Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 18. Oh, okay, I finished that one. And here, here's, here's the concept. Don't be afraid to speak prophetically to heart issues. Don't be afraid to speak the word that the Holy Spirit is going to put into your heart that will drive right to the center, right to the core of what that person is going through. God wants to use you to speak those kind of words. Those kind of words are not just for in here. Those kind of words are for out there. That God will give you a word of knowledge. That God will, that He will give you a prophecy or, or some way to understand that that person needs to know if you speak this, it's going to open their eyes. The Bible says, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, I'm, I'm not sure. It says that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so that they do not see the glorious light of the good news that is shining on them in the face of Christ. So if you can imagine, have you ever seen you know, those sleeping masks, the black masks that just completely black out everything? That's what that friend that, you, that I had you think about, spiritually, they're wearing one of those masks right now. They can't see it. And by speaking a word of knowledge or, or speaking something that the Holy Spirit is going to put in your heart, It's in effect just taking your finger and pulling down the mask so that they can see the good news. Do you understand? Okay. Let's move on. 
Um, and it, we've got to understand that this is not like spiritualized fortune telling, but words of knowledge that are given to you by the Holy Spirit with the goal of getting the person's attention and backing up or verifying the message of the gospel that you're giving to them. Okay? The same... Oh, here, this is really good. You've got to understand this. Please listen to this. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do every miracle that He did is the same Spirit that inhabits and empowers you and me to do even greater things that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14 and verse 12. It's the same Holy Spirit. He wants to use you to do those works. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. And that was just after He was baptized. And He was led out into the wilderness and, and went through the time of temptation. And then after that, Luke 14, 4, 14, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus was baptized, if you will, with the same Holy Spirit that God wants to baptize you with. To use you. And so, I want you to, to today, at the end, when we're here at the altar time, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God. Ask God to use you in this way. We've got to understand that it's not about us. Okay, it's not about how holy we are or anything like that. Because if that's your thought, you're completely off base. Because if you're thinking of, that you're, you know, like there's a scale of holiness in Christianity, completely off base. Because your holiness, if your holiness is based on what you do or don't do, you might as well be a Hindu or a Buddhist or someone else who is trying to earn favor by what they do. Our holiness is dependent upon what Jesus did on the cross. Period. So I don't care what kind of day you had. I don't care if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, cussed and kicked the dog, and then there's an opportunity for you to speak into someone's life. Go for it. Because you are holy. You are righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of what you're going through as you work into the holiness, work into the sanctification that God already sees you with. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not based on what you do or don't do. It's on what He did. Because it's not about us. It's about that person coming to know Jesus Christ. And our motive has to be love. Not self-promotion. Because I think that's another you know, like pitfall that can happen if you, know, you want to be used in the, the prophetic gifts or ministry gifts and it's like somehow now I'm a super Christian. I finally arrived because the Holy Spirit uses me in words of knowledge. That's baloney. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about God's love flowing through you to touch other people. Okay? Fourth thing that I notice in this passage is that we are not to focus on cultural differences. Focus on commonalities. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, you know, after he just, you know, like hammered her about her husband's. In verse 19, she says, kind of tries to change the subject. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> you think? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship and Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about Him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
So don't focus on the cultural differences. Your church has a cultural norm. What's normal here? The people outside of your church don't have any clue about your culture. And so you need to focus not on differences. You know, you guys live in the world just like I do, and people's language is totally different, right? It just happened to me this week. I met a new guy. He's teaching my brother, uh, not Taekwondo, it's like some sort of like karate thing that uh, Steven Seagal does. I don't know what it is. But anyway, I meet the guy and just, I mean, I just meet him and said, hello, my name is, and he just starts effing this, effing that. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, it just shocked me. Not that I haven't ever heard that before, but it was just like, okay, different culture here. You know, <laughs> it was just like, whoa, switch, switch gears. That's what we're dealing with. Don't be shocked. You know, don't, don't be like, you know, I'm a Christian. You don't need to use that kind of language around me. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're not a part of your culture. Hello. You're supposed to go and impact them. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't focus on the cultural differences. Because if you do that, then, you know, it's kind of like us trying, you know, going to another place around the world and telling those people, you guys just do it all wrong. You should be more like the United States. We're famous for doing that, by the way. They call it an ugly American syndrome. So don't be an ugly American to the world around you. Don't be an ugly Christian to the world around you. Just bring the pure gospel of Jesus to them. Let them know that God does love them, that God wants to have a relationship with them. And it's not based on them getting their lives cleaned up. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. Don't focus on cultural differences. Fifth, don't worry about what others think. Verse 28, verse 29, or excuse me, verse 27. Verse 27, then the disciples came back and they were shocked, shocked to find him talking to a woman but none of them have, and, none of the, and she was also a Samaritan, but none of them have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you even talking to her? You know what? We can't worry about what other people think about us when it comes to telling other people about Jesus Christ and being missional. You just have to know that you are supposed to do this. You not, just don't even let it come into your mind and worry about what other people think about you. Because I know that that's a huge thing. We have to focus on results, not on what naysayers that are more concerned with their di- traditions are thinking. You know, they're worried about you know, how we look or whatever. They're worried more about human reasoning and not on God's word. But we need to look at what the results were. Verse 28 and verse 29. It says, The woman left her jar of water beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And this is it right here. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I believe that woman got saved in that very moment. She's running back there. And, and what, was, what, what happened? Many others were saved as a result of her testimony. Verse 39 and following. But Jesus, or here it is. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see Him, they begged Him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have also heard him and seen him for ourselves, now that we know he indeed is the Savior of the world. The sixth thing that I see is that we've got to be willing to invest some time. Like Jesus did in verse 40, he stayed in that village. Normally as a Jew, they would just 
bolt right through. And we are really, really guilty of that as Christians. And we don't like to spend time in places that make us uncomfortable. We don't like to spend time in cultures that are not like this culture, or not the culture maybe in your home. That we just like bolt right through and we get through it as fast as we have to, you know, as fast as we can. La 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 la. None of this is touching me. None of this is getting on me. Blah blah blah. We have to be willing to spend some time to be involved in people's lives. Think about the person that I had you think about in the very beginning that does not know Jesus Christ. What is your current level involvement? Level of involvement in their life? Think about it for a minute. Currently, what is your level of involvement in that person's life? Okay, now I want you to think again. How can you change it? Begin to be purposeful. How can you change the current level of involvement? How can you transform that? How can you make it more purposeful? How can you make it more missional to be involved in that person's life? Just like a seed requires time to grow to maturity, the gospel requires a commitment of time to see it grow to maturity. Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 34 said this, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work. You know the saying, four months between the planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. I think that's what God is saying to us here today. Is wake up. Wake up, church on the street. Wake up. Wake up. Because God wants to use you. The harvest is ready. It's ripe. It's ready to come in. That's what the Word has been coming back. It's been coming to you. Now is the time. Everything that's been poured into you, everything that has been invested in you over your whole Christian life, if it's weeks or years and years and years, now is the time for you to go out and to go out and and begin to bring in the harvest. I want to close with one story before we come here to the altar. Just to kind of like wrap this whole thing up. The story is told by, it's Bill Johnson's brother. I think his name's Bob. Don't really, I can't remember. But he tells the story, has anybody maybe heard the story about when he went to the Burning Man thing? Anybody heard the story? Okay, it's an amazing, you've heard the story. It's an amazing story. So he, God sends him to the Burning Man group. And the Burning Man is like the largest pagan, you, uh, the, I could have the worship team, you could come up. That would be, that'd be cool. Thanks. It's, it's the largest pagan gathering, I guess, in the world. Probably in the United States for sure. So people are complete pagans, just tripped out, drugs. You know, they, they walk around naked. It's, it's total craziness. And God sends Bob right into the middle of that. How many know that's a major cultural shift? I mean, it's huge, right? So he goes in there and, and the Lord tells him, you're not to use any Christian words whatsoever. Well, that's pretty weird. So how am I going to do this? You know? And so he tells a story about how you know, they had like this, this tent that where people could get cleansed. You know, it was a cleansing tent where they could get freed from stuff that had like got on them. 
And so he tells this one guy, man, you got all this stuff on your back, dude, and it's just like all over you. Do you want to be free from that? He's like, yeah. You know, and he, you know, and so he just begins to pray for him, and demons are getting cast out, and all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. And like all kinds of different people, that's what's happening inside of this cleansing tent. But this one guy, you know, he's praying for him, and, and the guy's like on the ground, and he's praying for him to be released from the demonic oppression on his life. And, and finally, he hears the voice of the Holy Spirit say, Now you can tell him about me. Tell him that he needs Jesus. So he looks in the dude's face, he's like, You need Jesus in your life. And the guy was just like catatonic, like staring, I think is what he said. And he just tells him again, like, he didn't hear me. You need Jesus in your life. And the guy like bolts and sits up upright and he yells at the top of his lungs, Yeshua, come! It turns out that the guy was a Jew. And the Holy Spirit had been working in his life. And he finally invited Yeshua, Jesus Christ, to come and be in relationship with Him. You need to understand that there are people that you know, that person that that you're thinking about, the Holy Spirit right now is working in their life. And God wants to use you to introduce them to Yeshua, to Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet all across this place? I want to invite you right now that you put your hands like this and I want you to imagine that person in your hands and I want you to bring that person here to the altar. If you're uncomfortable, that's fine. You can stay right where you're at. But I want, you, I want to invite you to come here. Here's why. Where did my phone go? I had a scripture here. The Bible says, James, first, or excuse me, Peter, this is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priests through the mediation of Jesus Christ and you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You know that the job of a priest is to represent God to the world and represent the world to God. And so as you come, go ahead and step out from where you're at and come here to the altar and bring that person to the altar as a priest. You're taking that person and bringing that person to God and we're going to pray for that person. Just step out from where you're at. Come and just let's move around this place. And let's just begin to pray. I want you to begin to cry out for that person and begin to pray for that person. Pray that God would touch their lives. Let's just begin to pray in this place. God, you see the very number of hairs that are on the head of every single person that is represented in this place today. The people that we are bringing to you as holy priests, God, today. You see those person, those people. Lord, you created them. They bear your image. They're made in your image. Lord, and they are destined to be in relationship with you. We believe it. And I pray right now, Lord, for church on the street. God, that you would begin to pour out your spirit on them, not only in this place, but when they're out of this place. God, when they're in their place of work, when they're in the grocery store, when they're just walking down the street, God, that you would pour out your spirit on them and you would give them words of knowledge. That you would give them prophetic utterances, God, that are going to rip off the blinder. That these people that we're bringing to you today will be able to come to know you as their Savior and as their Lord.
Lord, we just pray that you, right now, Holy Spirit, you would be released upon these people's lives. That you would be released into their home to convict them of their sin. Help them to see the fact that they need a Savior. Help them to know that they need a righteousness and that it only comes through Jesus Christ. And that you would use us, God. That you would pour out your Spirit on us, God. To speak your word to these people. The word of God goes on to say in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. It says that you are a chosen people. You need to understand that church on the street. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen church. That God wants to use you. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. Royal signifies that you are going out in the name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When you go out of this place, you are going out in the full authority of God Almighty. Do not be afraid. Understand that God is sending you out full of the Holy Spirit, full of His power to establish His kingdom. That's why we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. You're going out as a royal priest with the full backing of God Almighty. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And He has filled you full of light because He wants you to share that light with the world around you. God wants to use you in a powerful way, church on the street. It's time. Now is the time to stop coming to church on the street and it's time for you to be church on the street. To be full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, and going out in the authority of God Almighty to bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone around you. There's one other thing that I, that I saw when I was praying about closing. You know what? there is another work of the Holy Spirit that God does. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power to witness and to live a holy life. If you're here in this place and I don't care if you've been baptized before or if it's never happened to you and you're like, hey, I need that because I don't have any power to witness. I want you right now to just raise up both of your hands, raise them up high, And I just want you to begin to cry out to God. Say, God, fill me with your power. Fill me with your anointing. Lord, fill us with your fire. Lord, we're crying out in this place. God, that you would fill us. And if you see someone around you with their hands raised up, I just want you to begin to pray over them. Pray that God will fill them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fill them up, I pray, oh God. Begin to pour out your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, pour it out on us, Lord. We cannot do this in our own power, in our own strength. God, You fill us. We depend upon You. We depend upon You, Holy Spirit. Flow in this place, we pray. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up, God. Fill us up, Lord.